The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Welcome to the Ask Harry Podcast. This is Harry Margolis, and this is the podcast where we interview experts on all aspects of estate planning. On this edition of the Ask Harry Podcast, Harry is joined by Joy Laverty. According to her website, Joy has a reputation for being a path carver and a visionary. She's the author of Who Will Take Care of Me When I'm Old, in addition to the bestseller, The Complete Elder Care Planner. Please enjoy Harry's conversation with Joy Laverty. Joy, thank you for so much for joining me today on the Ask Harry podcast. And uh, I know you've written a new book, Who Will Take Care of Me When I'm Old? And uh, of course, you wrote uh, one of the seminal works in the area of elder care planning, The Complete Elder Care Planner. So why did you write this new book? Well, you know, this book actually came to me. I've been on the road for about 30 years talking about family caregiving and aging parents and people getting together and talking and hopefully making plans. But about 10 years ago, after almost every keynote or workshop, the family caregivers would come up to me and they'd say, I'm doing this for my parents, but who's going to do this for me? Mm -hmm. Who's going to take care of me? And it was like a message that was written in the sky said, oh, that's my next book. Like 10 years ago was way too soon. People are still grappling with um, the, the, the elder care and the caregiving phenomenon, right? Yeah, definitely. So I had to wait. I had to wait because it was too soon. So three years ago, my, my uh, agent and I went to the publishing world and said, who wants to buy this book in terms of publishing it? And we had a wonderful response. So it, it, it flew uh, into the hands of the, the right publisher and the timing couldn't be more perfect. So now it's now it's full circle. Now it's all about us. That makes sense because, of course, there are all the, all the baby boomers are getting into their later years, uh, which is also why I wrote my my new book uh, about uh, get your ducks in in a row, estate planning for yeah. baby boomers. But um, so the so all of us need to figure out um, what how we're going to age and uh, how it might exactly. may or may not be different from how our parents aged. And, and I know you talk about how you have to be grounded and, uh, I guess, make your own plan. Is, is, that, is that right? It is, because we're pretty much the last generation of caregivers as we know it. We did not raise our children to be caregivers like our parents might have. In fact, we told our children, be successful, you know, study hard, get out there and do something. And they did. And now they live all over the world. And when we look behind us, there is a, there is a caregiver shortage. There is no one to take care of us, which, is, which was um, and is highly publicized now and if people are not aware of it they need to be so that mean we all have to move overseas for caregiving <laughs> no <laughs> that means that we need to we need to have some really good friends <laughs> oh <laughs> and daughters <laughs> <laughs> right right so you talk about i, I think uh, um difference between change and transition and um and uh, incremental change in transition, and, and, and what is the difference? 
Well, first of all, change and transition are not the same thing, and people people keep them in the same sentence, and they're just anything but the same. Change is a situation or the event. Something changes, but it's an event. Like you move to a new city, or the cat dies, or you get fired from a job. But the transition is the is the psychological path that we take to adjust to the change. But here's the wonderful thing about transition. This is the time that is super creative. This is the time where it's filled with potential. And the people that I know who are aging successfully put all of their efforts in the transition process. And they, they take the change and they put it on the side. And they say, that's what happened, but here I am. So that's the big difference between change and transition. And as we journey toward old age, there's going to be every transition under the sun. Of course, there's going to be uh, transitions that happen to us in terms of uh, our physical and mm-hmm. mental, mental health and, and I assume transitions we, we make ourselves and uh, or choose exactly. ourselves. And, and so yeah, how- some of them are self-imposed, but many are not. Like people dying and moving away. Mm-hmm. And, and how do you think strategically about that? We have to stay real. We have to say, oh, my gosh, you know, we, we, we can't look at these events as though we didn't know they weren't in, inevitable, right? Mm-hmm. We have to stay real. And the more we talk about the realities of living a longer life, the more prepared we are that the transitions are here and now. And it helps to be able to talk to a lot of other people who have gone through it. So pretty much we're saying goodbye to something and a hello to something else. So, uh, so you're not in favor of denial? No, no. Is anybody? <laughs> well, I think, uh, it's, uh, I think a lot of people are. So you can continue living your life as it is, even if uh, denying mm. that uh, changes are happening or are going to happen. Right, right. You're right. I mean, I, I know that, that there are people who, who see the title of my book, who will take care of me when I'm old, and they say to me, I'll just deal with that when I have to. Right. And they do. And I'm not quite sure how if things turn out the way they would like them to. So, so say for me, I'm a baby boomer and I'm thinking strategically, or I think I should think strategically about uh, what's going to happen in the future years for me and my wife and my kids who are going to be involved one way or the other. Um, where, do, where do we start? Um, well, I have prioritized what we need to talk about. And the first is the need, and there's a chapter in my book called The Fierce Need for Money. Mm -hmm. Money is the first thing we have to talk about. The second would be the need for housing, whether we're going to stay put or consider housing alternatives. And the third one, which you'll love, is the need for the legal documents to prepare for legal advocates. That is so important. So most people say, oh, there's too much to think about. I don't know what I'm going to, how I'm going to prepare for this. So it's money, housing, and legal. 
So starting with, starting with money, how do, you, how do you have that conversation and who should you have it with? We need to have it with ourselves first. Uh, all kinds of things are going to require us to finance a longer life. And what I typically say is we need to figure out how to sustain the quality of our lives no matter what happens. So that if we continue to go toward old age, we also have to consider the possibility of aging solo, especially mm-hmm. those of us who are in committed relationships. Um, I read an incredible study. It was uh, posted in the Wall Street Journal, and it said three quarters of married couples who they surveyed are not financially prepared if a spouse passes away. They're not financially prepared for widowhood. That's a high number. Yeah, that is a high number. Um, and yeah, now, that, that's consistent. So, but it's, that's consistent with all the numbers about the fact that very few people seem to have any money in savings these days. Widowhood doesn't just happen to people who are, who are a certain age. It also happens to people who are under 60. And we know that those are the people who do not qualify for Social Security or Medicare. And things are far different for widows and widowers under the age of 60. So it's so it's something that people, when they are planning financially, they need to think about the lens of aging solo and aging to you know financing a longer life. So, and that's uh, and should they be working with financial planners to to figure that out and make projections, or um... I uh, yes, but I I say it's uh, we need to go even deeper. Mm-hmm. I, I we we need to have two people on our team. We need to have an elder law attorney and a financial planner, a certified financial planner. The reason is is because most people think, and you know this, when they go to the lawyer's office and they say, I, I need to figure out what happens to me when I die. I need a will and all that. But the better question is, is what happens if I don't die? What mm-hmm. happens if I keep living far too long? And I, I need to put an estate plan together for that kind of affair, including um, planning for incapacity. So it, there's two people, the money guy and the lawyer. And, uh, and at what point should people be doing this? When they're 18. <laughs> uh, uh, I can't tell you how many young people I talk to who are parents that do not have a will. Yeah. And they're parents. So that doesn't make sense to me. So I would say as soon as you're aware, and, and parents can play an important role in getting their, children, their younger adult children's act in, in order. You know, there's no law that says our parents are going to go before us. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. There's just just it's more likely. Happens. Right. 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 So I say um, right away, as soon as, soon as you're, you're aware that, um, that there are problems, and I suppose I'm, I'm hypersensitive to all this because I've seen what happens when families do not have their legal papers in order, and it, and it is just horrible. Yeah, of course, we see that a lot. Yes. So, um, so the, the other element in addition to the legal papers and finances is housing. 
And mm -hmm. I, I guess that involves a couple different things, like uh, are you going to leave your community and move somewhere else, or and then what kind of house should you be living in? Right. There's all kinds of neat options in this day and age. Um, I, I am a advocate for community, the community lifestyle housing, where uh, the choices are many. I, for example, live in what is known as a NORC. So mm -hmm. it's N-O-R-C. And a NORC is a naturally occurring retirement community. So I live in this high rise in the middle of Chicago. We all just love where we live. The location is perfect. There are grocery stores and theaters and, and transportation everywhere. So consequently, many of us moved into this building when we were younger and we never moved out. Mm -hmm. And that's the definition of a naturally occurring retirement community. So they are... Yeah, it's not a designation. No, no building will say they're a NORC. But what happens is, is then people naturally begin to take care of each other. They pool resources. They use uh, numbers as a way to get discounts on many things. Mm -hmm. So that's one example. It's real easy. Just move into an apartment building and 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 watch what happens. Uh, Co-housing is 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 pretty popular these days. People live in, oh, this is an intergenerational. My, uh, my mother actually, my mother actually lives in co-housing in Cambridge. Tell you, so, so that means that she's, she's surrounded by people young and old and sharing. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's right? a mix. It's, 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 just, it's to some extent a Nork for the same reason that uh, they all moved in when they were younger and they're all getting older but they're making every effort to uh, get younger people to move into apartments as they, as they get vacated. Oh, that's wonderful. Another real popular option is this uh, new concept called shared housing. Used to be that way a long time ago. Then it went away, and now it's back again. And I think the, the reason it's back again in a, in a big way is because technology is playing a part in connecting people who are, who are natural roommates. So you fill out these forms just like a dating service. So if you're looking for a roommate or you're looking to move into someone's home, shared housing is becoming quite popular. That sounds like a very good idea because a lot of uh, older people are living in uh, houses where they had kids and a lot of, they have a lot of empty rooms. Well, I'll tell you, the, um, I was watching a television program the other day where they talked about homeless college students. And the problem is bigger than I really realized. So what great, what a better way to just have a college student move in. It's right. great. And places like where you live in Chicago and where I live in Boston are just incredibly expensive. Uh-huh. So having a college student who knows technology and probably knows how to fix a faucet and everything else, it's like, yeah, what a great match. And there's another concept that's also popular, and this is for people who like to stay home, and that is the one called the village concept. Mm -hmm. I, I believe it was begun by several women in Boston yeah, on Beacon, uh, in on the Beacon 60s. Hill. Yep, you got it. So basically that idea is, is you stay in your own home and you become a member of the village and the village then gets together and does things together and also helps each other with cooking and transportation and so on. So these are all just wonderful options. Um, there is a, there's another uh, concept that I'm working on right now with the uh, gay community in, 
in Manhattan, and it's called the Stonewall Virtual Village of New York. Hmm. We're um, we're working on uh, expanding it to other cities, but right now New York is our um, flagship. What's happening with the gay community is we are we are connecting people online, and then and then feeding them out to the to the community where they will do things together, help each other, and so on. So the virtual community is also a way to get connected. Our vision is that eventually people do begin to do the shared housing concept, which would be ideal, especially for the older um, gay people who are looking for for people to um, and just just be there for them, and vice versa. We we need young young need old. So there you go. So so what what challenges do does the LGBTQ um, community as a as a <clears throat> age face that are different from heterosexual couples or, or singles? Well, you know, in many respects, they they face the same challenges of any of other solo agers. Um, they're aging alone, perhaps they're childless, and they also wonder who's going to be care, caring for them. But their complications um, that put this population at risk include being estranged from family and friends, hate crimes, uh, homophobia in the housing and healthcare settings. Um, and then just harassment and abuse it's, it's, is another layer that's, that's quite challenging. I'm told by my, my gay friends that there's a big difference in walking down the street that is in a gay-friendly neighborhood as opposed to one that is not. It's, they, they know it, and it's uh, very different. Yeah, so cool. what's being done about this is... Um, uh, it's kind of it's interesting because you you can't tell just because a city has a large population of gay uh, people does not mean that it is uh, it's gay friendly. Mm-hmm. So I, I learned that what you have to look for clear evidence like. Um, an abundance of social services and hospitals and medical centers that have trained staff that know how to do patient care and visitation rules are are gay friendly. And then, of course, you you also want to look at the number of gay city and state elected officials. You want to look at adoption rights and um, equal housing opportunities. You. It's the indexes speak of the need for evidence that it's real, but sadly, um, we know that there's a lot of underground scenes that are happening, and we're all doing our best that we can to try to not have this happen. So how? Uh, yeah. So I guess I'm a, so. How would you know if you're if you're thinking about for yourself? Um, about where you want to live and how you want to live in, in your in your gay or bisexual, um, what's available in your community and what's not available and where, would, where the right place to live would, might be. Uh, there are so many resources. You would have to start doing your homework regarding um, typing in the LGBTQ-friendly initiatives and then mm-hmm. 
put the name of your city or the or the name of your state after each one, and you could you could see the list of resources that are or are not available. You have to you have to do your homework. You can't do it just because there's a lot of advertisement of of gay pride parades. You know, mm-hmm. it just it has to be real. It has to be a lot of initiatives have been established, and of course. Talking to talking to the people who live there, it's, it's always the way to go. Good. So I want to go back a, a little to the uh, housing and uh, where you're, where you're going to live uh, question in terms of whether or not people should leave their hometown and move to Florida or move to Arizona that a lot of people do. <clears throat> um, and uh, what, do you, what do you think about that and what that means in terms of planning for the older years? There's a... Certain amount of risk that happens when you leave your your um, environment that you know so well. It it will just depend on if you can create a community of people who can surround you. You know, I I mentioned earlier the caregiver support, <clears throat> the caregiver shortage, and the reality of that. Who who will end up taking care of us will probably be a very close network of friends because we can create that we can make that happen so moving away isn't isn't necessarily bad but having to start over with a network of support is challenging not to say it can't be done but that will be the goal wherever we live we need to know that we can create a network of support and Again, it's the informal network of support that we have to put our efforts toward. So you're talking a lot about uh, friends, um, and mm-hmm. should should people also be expecting to depend on their kids if they have them, or is that putting too much on the kids? I just um, have heard it both ways from people. Some people say they're going to plan on not having their children take care of them because they they don't think they can or they will be willing or even if they can afford to do that. Uh, other people say, nope, I, even, if, even if I have children, I don't want them to have anything to do with making decisions and being there. I'm, I'm going to make it all happen myself. And I will rely more on friends and create more of a friend caregiving situation than family. So Uh, I've heard it both ways. I just want to remind everybody that the name of the book is Who Will Take Care of Me When I'm Old? And I'm speaking with Joy Laverty, the author. Thank you for listening to the Ask Harry podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends and colleagues. If you have questions about estate planning, you can find answers at askharry.info. And if you don't find your answer there, you can post a question and I will respond to it. You can also subscribe and listen to future episodes on iTunes. If you're interested in Harry's book, Get Your Ducks in a Row, The Baby Boomer's Guide to Estate Planning, please visit margolis.com. That's M-A-R-G-O-L-I-S.com. Ask Harry is a production of Pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network.